0: And you like living here in Iowa, I guess, huh?
1: Mm.
0: Go ahead. (laughs) I'm not going to tell anyone.
2: Uh. (laughs) What I'm supposed to say
1: oh, it's just fine, it's quiet, Um, the people are real nice. Where do you want me to start? Well, let me just say a uh, quick intro. Uh, okay. Hello, hello to the Rock Hard Caucus audience. This is Justin, your host, and I am sitting here now uh, engaging in an exclusive uh, post-election interview with mayoral candidate Des, Mo- Des Moines, mayoral candidate Denver Foote. Denver, nice to see you again.
2: Thanks, Justin, for having me. Uh, my name is Denver Foote. I use they, them pronouns. um ex-mayoral candidate current uh organizer with des moines people's town hall uh so happy to be here
1: yeah i'm happy to talk to you again we had you on our show a few months ago when you were like in the in the heavy campaigning swing uh now that's over the election was a week and a day ago as of this recording um how is life post-election going for you
2: So the day after election day, I went, I started going back to work full time instantly. So election day was on Tuesday and Wednesday. I was up early going back into my salon job, which is a walk in business where I make under $15 an hour. Hmm. So very kind of like a surreal moment for me, you know?
1: Yeah. So not, not. My question was how's life going? It sounds like it's not amazing. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's going good. Um I'm already working on my next moves. Um being a community organizer, you can't just like take a break, but I did take some mm-hmm. rest. Sunday was my first day in months that I haven't had a plan or like a meeting or like <laughs> yeah. things I had to do. I I think I slept like over 20 hours that day, which was nice.
1: That's, yeah, that's a long time to sleep. Uh, I I don't know that I've ever slept 20 hours (laughs) in a day uh, ever in my life.
2: (laughs) Well, when you're running a campaign, it's like a full-time job, especially if you are unable to hire a campaign manager Mm -hmm. um, or have people funding you. So I was working over 40 hours a week, and then trying to run a campaign after like six PM, right? Right. <laughs> um, so it was never, it was never really a day off.
1: It took a lot out of you, I imagine. Um, but that's that's something that I I uh, respect about you. What what you were just saying about how uh, being an organizer, you never just stop working on this stuff. Like running for mayor was not like your thing exactly. It was just part of a larger thing. Uh, You said you're, you're planning out next moves. Is that anything that you want to talk about here or does it have to be kept hush hush?
2: So with the campaign, I wasn't frontline organizing anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm excited to get back in that. Um, I'm excited to start organizing with Des Moines people's town hall more. We kind of have like our first big core meeting since before I announced my campaign, because a lot of people from people's town hall kind of shifted over to my campaign naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, And my dear friend, Adam, like kept it going. Um, So I'm excited to get back into that. Uh, Right now I am specifically personally uh, heated locally by the dart uh, funding that's happening. They're facing 40% of cuts of the budget and of services, um in a large part of my platform was expanding transit.
1: Right. Yeah, Dart is like the bus system in Des Moines. What's is it yes. uh I guess what does Dart stand for? It's an acronym, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the the T is transit. We know that much.
2: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh the something regional something transit.
1: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's the buses. Uh, And you were talking about this before we started recording, but why are they cutting this? Because what I've heard from people who live in Des Moines, yourself included, is that DART does not have enough resources. The buses are, the bus routes are not good enough for the people who need them in Des Moines. So why are they cutting that?
2: So it's kind of like a state issue. Um, They kind of restructured local transit things or local transit policies at the state house. So Des Moines is a very rare city where for transit, we don't collect uh, funding for our local transit through like things like vehicle registration, parking mm-hmm. tickets, speeding tickets, um, and sales tax. Uh, even like most cities, if you rent a car, the business that rents cars has to set, send a certain percentage for local transit. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're very different in that aspect. And then they changed it. So over the next few years until 2029 uh, the city of Des Moines, who uses the services most is going to be taking on 49% of the funding for DART. Whereas right now I think it's like, below 30 because it's distributed through suburbs based on property that's owned um, or property taxes or basic income. Um, So that means that the services for DART hasn't grown because our suburbs are, are mostly like white or families, or people who own property and have more money or a higher median income, right? And um, they, don't, so that,
1: they don't want to pay for something that they're not using.
2: Kind of, but it's like also like that's why the city of Des Moines is going to be taking on such a huge percentage of the funding for DART because Des Moines uses the services the most.
1: Right, and the suburbs don't. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned that, um, uh, parking tickets and things like that don't go towards paying for public transit. Um, I, I, does the money that people pay in parking tickets, is that just going to pay like cops, uh, salaries or something? Where does that money end up? Do you know?
2: So parking tickets and like speed camera tickets are privatized. Mm -hmm. So the money goes out of state. And there's out of state workers or there's out of country workers who are processing these and filing them. Right. And then it's, um, so if you get a speeding trap ticket, you'll look at the envelope and the return sender is somebody not, yeah, not in your city. I happen to have
1: one right here on my desk. Or (laughs) even
2: like country. Um, so they take a percentage of that money Um, Or I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but like they take a percentage of that money and then the rest goes to the city of Des Moines. But because parking tickets and speeding tickets are an enforcement policy, it Mm -hmm. usually uh, uh, 98 percent of the time goes back into the police force and their funding.
1: Right, right. It gives them more incentive to give more tickets because then they get the money. Yeah, this one that I have here is from uh, the city of Cedar Rapids. I got caught on camera going over the speed limit. And the ticket came from Beverly, Massachusetts.
2: Mm, Okay, Beverly, pop off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good for them. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's talk a little bit about the election itself. Um, Obviously, you, you are not going to be the mayor. Was that a disappointment to you?
2: No, <laughs> it wasn't a disappointment to me at all. Um, I knew it was a far fetched goal, and I don't mean this to insult my supporters mm-hmm. um, or the people who helped me with the campaign. It's a simple fact that the system is not built for people like me to run for office, but the fact that I raised $5,000 and the person who won mayor raised for May Oral-C is very unprecedented. And the fact that I was able to show up to panels and create the platform for underserved communities that I come from was my goal the entire Mm -hmm. time. It was my goal to activate new voters, people who probably wouldn't vote in local elections. And... On top of it, I proved that a liberal candidate cannot win without the left's vote. Like you cannot alienate the people who are on the ground organizing.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that specifically. So you were in the race and then there were two candidates who had a lot more money than you and who are uh, city council incumbents. That's Connie Bozen and Josh Mandelbaum. And uh, Connie Bozen ended up winning by a margin of about uh, seven or 800 votes. And you, Denver, received 971 votes, at least last time I looked at the results. So the your share of the vote was larger than the margin between the two uh, absurdly well-funded candidates. Uh, has anyone accused you of being a spoiler yet?
2: Before i say that i also want to share the fact that i raised five thousand dollars so i mm-hmm. was more efficient
0: Absolutely, in getting yes.
2: voters i if you cut it down like i paid like a dollar something a vote whereas connie bozen paid almost thirty dollars per vote so it proves <laughs> that like you can buy an election um i have been getting i have been having people reach out to me saying that like Josh Mandelbaum lost because of me and he aligns Mm -hmm. with my values more. Um, (laughs) But that's like very much the tip of the iceberg of like hate emails of like death threats that I've gotten throughout this campaign. Just like being vocal on like the fact that everyone deserves care.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a controversial issue that (laughs) you you are outspoken on uh, the needs of uh, people not being met. In our society. And for that, you deserve to be threatened. Um, <laughs> yeah, on, on the subject of, of being a spoiler. Um, and you mentioned that you were focused on new voters, people who would not have otherwise voted. So I think if anyone wants to blame you for Josh Mandelbaum losing, aside from the fact that he spent the most money on this race and spent the most money per vote that he received. So the least efficient campaign of the three of you, people should remember that probably a good chunk of those 971 votes that you received would never have voted for either of the other two candidates because you represent a segment of the Des Moines population who are disgusted by (laughs) members of the city council, including Connie Bozen and Josh Mandelbaum, and never would have voted for either of them, right? I mean, you know more than I do who was voting for you.
2: Yeah, um, it's the fact that I, part of my stump speech, right, is that I was running for mayor because I feel a huge urgency for the communities I represent and the communities that are most underserved, right? I feel a huge urgency for trans people. I feel a huge urgency for queer people, for people of color, for people who, you know, go to school hungry. Um, and those are experiences that, the other candidates didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, they did not grow up in poverty. Uh They did not w- grow up in a working class family, right. Or an immigrant family, which uh, helped me activate those new voters. It was also the fact that a lot of grassroots organizers or grassroots community members gave me a platform within their events. Like mm-hmm. um a lot of like, During Pride Week in Des Moines, I was, like, booked back to back to back. Like, I was, I am, and, I mean, I was one of, like, the only non-binary openly queer candidate. Yeah. Um, And a lot of people, especially in the local LGBTQ community, do not feel represented. Um, And I was able to represent them in panels and in interviews.
1: Yeah, how did... How do you feel you were treated by, like, the mainstream media of Des Moines?
2: One of my first interviews, even though the teleprompter had my correct pronouns, Mm -hmm. the news anchor on Live refused to use my correct pronouns.
1: Are you comfortable saying, like, which uh, organization they belong to?
2: I don't want to misspeak.
1: Okay. (laughs) uh,
2: If I'm incorrect. Yeah, yeah. I had a very good experience with NPR. They did a next gen interview with me. Um, I think it was really clear about what was uh, about my backstory. Um, and I also feel, even though they endorsed Connie Bozen, I feel kind of very confident in the local reporters for Des Moines Register, mm-hmm. like the local like council reporters and the Des Moines register was the only media that was invited into my personal election watch party. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had like very weird media relationships. Um, I feel like most of the media in Des Moines is very center and you have to just be kind of careful about what you say because they will clip the worst parts. Um, <laughs> so it's very important if you ever decide to run for office or you are in a position to talk to media, to be prepared, right? Because you could talk to them for 30 minutes and they'll snip it down to 30 seconds. Yeah. Right? yeah. So you have to make sure that everything you're saying is punctual and like The second I slip up, there's like, they clip the worst part because I'm like the progressive abolitionist, (laughs) like...
1: Yeah, they want to throw you (laughs) under the bus. It's not friendly. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, everything that I saw from you, but I I certainly didn't watch every single interview or panel appearance that you did during your campaign. But everything that I saw from you seemed very uh, well, I don't want to say rehearsed, but like you seem to be very conscious of that. Like you didn't want to be caught off guard. Were you ever? Cause what, what you were describing sounded like that may have happened to you at some point.
2: It was weird. I had an experience with a reporter and they were like asking me general questions. And then like out of the blue, they go trigger warning, but like they go, how does it like, your lawsuit with the city, like Mm -hmm. something about like Des Moines police department and like how it affected me. And they're like, you have like this. And I was like, not expecting that. Right. I was expecting this to just be like quick interview. And then they asked me about my traumatic experience with the police department. Mm -hmm. And that like threw me like way off track. Right. Because then I'm thinking about this traumatic experience that I had and not why i'm running
1: for mayor right right yeah that's kind of uh when that i remember you sometime like not long after you announced it was also in the news that your lawsuit was going forward and so i i definitely thought that that was like interesting i don't know interesting timing to have both of those going on in your life at once like (laughs) like what you were just saying obviously it's hard to keep focused on your campaign if somebody's asking you about like a horrible thing that happened to you a couple of years ago did was this an issue that you ever brought up yourself like as you were campaigning
2: yes on my own terms
1: sure um
2: i never like would go into detail and it's not something that i would like consistently share because it's not it doesn't pertain well yes in the fact that when people Would ask me straight up in panels, how do I feel about the Des Moines Police Department Um, or a third party review or um, de escalation training? Yeah. Sometimes it would be brought up, but like my main point of the fact is like sharing more of a fact, right? Because I don't want to make it, I didn't, I never wanted to make it about me. I wanted to make it about the people who are affected by policing in their community.
1: Mm -hmm. it's a lot more than than you you know this was not uh an isolated incident from the des moines police department
2: yes and it's like the whole first when they first did de-escalation who did it michael fong who literally like took advantage of a handicapped person you know and had multiple like marks against him within the police force and was part of a training in the des moines police department has also been trained in killology where it's like don't be afraid to point and shoot you know like don't escalate just do it
1: yeah yeah i feel like probably most of the people who would listen to what we're doing now probably are aware of that but like that what denver just said like that's how police are trained all over the country is is to like view the people that they quote serve and protect as like potential threats at all times like they view view themselves as like a tier above the general public any member of the general public they have the duty to kill at any moment should the need arise that's the mindset that they're that they're in as they patrol the streets that we have to share with them I have a feeling that you, Denver, are probably the only mayoral candidate who would be willing to talk about that.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, weird. And I've definitely shared it in a bunch of panels. Um, I shared it in front of Dana Winger, our chief of police. Mm -hmm. I was in a, I don't want to say what neighborhood panel it was, but I was in a panel and Joe Gatto, uh, incumbent, Ward 4, uh, mm-hmm. pretty openly racist a little bit, yeah. um, was there with Dana Wingert, our chief of police, I think Scott Sanders, our city manager, and Dana Wingert's wife. Joe Gatto has a picture up in his restaurant, right, of him and Trump. But anyways, Mm -hmm. there was also like three fully armed police guards in the back as well. Um, And this meeting, the moderator like personally attacked me and I like left the meeting and I remember sitting in my partner's car and just crying because it just felt so publicly humiliating. Yeah. But I knew I was already in front of like in front of these people who were so against me. Um, and still bled out for them and like spoke my truth. Like I didn't back down and that's like yeah, yeah. very hard. Um, I,
1: yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that you got through that is, is, a a testament to your strength and perseverance. I, I don't know how else to phrase that. Like you, you so, what you, what you've experienced over the past few months is significant and I think you did a great job getting through all that. Thank you.
2: <laughs> it was like also in this panel one of the questions is was what are you going to do about our homeless population and the annoying panhandling happening at intersections. And I said first of all this like question is insulting to the houseless community this question is insulting to me as somebody who has faced houselessness in the city of Des Moines. Mm -hmm. Um, And why are people brought to that point of having to panhandle? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: And the moderators responded specifically to me and not my uh, fellow, whatever candidates was like, well, they're so annoying and you realize that we call the cops on them and the cops pull them away and then somebody else replaces their space. So, like, obviously the cops need more funding so we can handle these panhandlers more. And I was like, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just the the thought process there. Like, somebody who is in a desperate situation asking you for money, I mean and you probably just said no and kept walking away right so it mm-hmm. didn't really inconvenience you at all just the fact that you are just annoyed by this person's presence means that they should be removed from society like you you believe that your own very temporary very brief discomfort means that a human being is no longer a human being do they ha- do yes. they ever like have any moments of self-reflection after they say things like that
2: I would imagine not because the people <laughs> they circle, like surround themselves with feel the same way. And sometimes I, f- I can kind of feel that same way too. Like when I get like only organizing in movement spaces or only talking to like my close friends, I'm like, how do these people like, I'm like dumbfounded. I'm like, how do these people not realize that housing is a human right? Or like transit mm-hmm. is the backbone of an excess like accessible space. City, But I have to realize that those people exist outside of my sphere. Right. Mm -hmm. And with the campaign, I really had uh, to get gritty, you know, so they can like feel my emotion. I had to like share my personal experiences over and over again to cross that sphere i'm a very visual person obviously (laughs) Yeah, denver
1: is uh making a circle with their hands right now to make the sphere (laughs) so right we are everyone is to some extent in a bubble most of the time because it's it's just nicer for us to talk to people who feel the same way that we do uh and yeah obviously if you're going to campaign for mayor you're going to have to leave that bubble sometimes and try to penetrate another bubble, because obviously they're in a huge bubble as well. Everyone else involved in like the spectacle of a mayoral election is in their own kind of bubble. This is just rich people deciding who's gonna who's gonna run the city. That's their bubble. Yeah. And within that bubble, a houseless person is uh, an annoyance that needs to be dealt with with force. That's a bad bubble to be in, I think. <laughs>
2: You know, it's real hard, like, leaving your bubble, I guess. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, those people never would have been confronted with any ideas outside of their own very small worldview had you not, you know, forced your way into the conversation.
2: Yeah, just make them uncomfortable a little bit. I always say where you're uncomfortable is where you grow at as a person And these people who probably have never had the same experiences as I, when they hear that, hopefully it ripples them a little bit. I strongly believe that your personal story, um, your personal experiences are the strongest tools you have in your toolbox to reach across and say, things could be different. Things could Mm -hmm. be better. Right. And like, Um, You may not be able to relate, but you can feel the uncomfortability of existing in that space, right? You can relate that this isn't okay and that we all have our own personal experiences. So I strongly believe that your personal story is like your strongest way to make those connections and to be able to move people yeah. Or radicalize them even.
1: Yeah. It, it may be a tall order for uh some of those people at those uh neighborhood meeting panel type things, but you gotta you know, start at somewhere.
2: Least, <laughs> yeah, at least I can make them a little uncomfortable, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's what's happening with that, you know, that panhandling scenario too. Is like the reason they feel uncomfortable is because they know they know like deep down they're a person too. And they know that this this unequal situation, like a person who ha- who has all the money can just continue walking down the street and a person who has no money, you know that that's not right. You know that that person has as much right as you to live a comfortable life, you know?
2: I was thinking, I was just thinking, I'm like, so you know how they say like, and I relate to this, like I'm one like doctor's bill or like mm-hmm. missed paycheck from living on the streets. But for them, it's like, you're one divorce without a prenup, and you're on the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, they'll never understand, and they probably don't want DART to get funded.
1: No, they have no reason to want that. It doesn't benefit them. So, yes. the the uh, the big spenders of the race, Connie and Josh... Uh, you were much closer to this situation than I was. Why did Connie win?
2: Connections to developers to corporations. Um, she never spoke on affordable housing. Josh's middle ground was affordable housing, but through new developments, right? And then I'm on like the left spectrum where I'm like, we shouldn't have new developments. We should keep people in their houses and do rent caps, right? Right. Um yeah. but Connie said we're open for business. You know, um what was it nationwide leaving is uh opportunity. I view Wells Fargo leaving as opportunity. <laughs> um that's why she won because she was able to use those connections to get funding from those people. The fact that county Gatto Westergaard and Voss, other counselors and the current mayor backed her is to continue the status quo that we will uplift developers. that we will uplift like, uh, corporations and we will not protect tenants from the, from their landlords.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. So she took the position of, uh, continuing a sort of status quo where the city government is, completely in service to uh real estate and uh development
2: yeah basically
1: and you were the total opposite you know and then josh took what is pretty much like the obvious liberal democrat style uh triangulation and he tried to thread the needle between the two of you And it was, uh, I I guess, you know, what's appealing about that, you know, (laughs) like, like go halfway in between. Does that really excite anyone? I spoke
2: to a voter, um, somebody uh, that was on my like contact list for like supporters, basically. I don't know. Um, And I was doing like a last call around and they go, I support you. I support your ideas, like everything you stand for, I stand for. But I voted for Josh Mandelbaum. Yeah. And I said, oh, why is that? And they're like, "It less served two evils, you know? Um, so even the people who see the same way I see or claim to be, don't believe that we have a fighting chance. And right. I don't, and especially people who felt the same way because nobody feels, nobody experiences are very singular that, think the same way is not good. It's understandable with being an American and growing up in capitalism. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that.
1: No, I, I know what you mean. Uh, and it's hard to, I guess, accept <laughs> that, you know, this person who you're talking about, they, they recognize that everything that you're saying is right. Your vision of how the city could be is just and the way things should be, but it seems impossible to achieve that. And so they bailed and they they voted for this sort of compromise guy, but he lost anyway. He still lost, you know? So if he's going to lose anyway, you know, why not go all in and just do everything you can to advocate for the actual just vision of how the city could be, yeah. If the conservatives going to win either way, <laughs> you know,
2: it's hard, um, and that kind of correlates to like the hardest part of my campaign was like speaking to people wasn't hard, and activating people through my speeches wasn't hard, but what was hard was getting people to show up. Right, people to um, canvas and door knock because yeah. um, this was the first May oral race without a runoff. And if we really want to get progressive people in office um, and people who are going to challenge the status quo, um, and I understand. That voting and I understand that getting elected officials are not going to accomplish our goals of abolition and liberation overnight. But I believe that the fight uh, for a just system and for liberation is multifaceted and everyone mm-hmm. has a place, which is why I ran for mayor. And I understand there's so much going on in the world and it feels so hopeless with like looking at our presidential campaign coming up um, and it feels very scary. But that was like the hardest part for me was getting canvassers to sign up. But why was that hard for me is because I understand as a working class person, as somebody who's under the same pressures as these, as these people that I'm asking for help from, Mm um it's impossible yeah like
1: yeah you're not gonna like it's hard you're not gonna get mad at people who don't have any money or time to spare you know (laughs) yeah
2: and that was like never a point and i was like i had those disadvantages of not being not getting money or not going in this campaign a lot with a lot of money like we didn't hire a campaign manager I was the one who was cutting all the lists and all the turfs and writing all the scripts um, on top of working full time. So.
1: Right. Am I remembering right that you have to pay the Democratic Party for a lot of the voter info?
2: That was our biggest uh, purchase of the campaign. (laughs) I think it was six hundred dollars um to get the voter database of the democratic yeah. party and vote builder is so seriously outdated it's so hard oh, yeah. it's so yeah. complicated if i didn't have previous previous experience with the bernie sanders campaign using vote builder yeah. i would have been fucked like yeah. i would have been like <laughs> 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 like it would have been easier to just not use it and just blindly right. not
1: Doors. <laughs> just just try to keep track of which doors you knocked
2: <laughs> yeah just like hey. print out like google map sheets and stuff right yeah
1: yeah hey i don't know who lives here anybody here eligible to vote yeah.
2: <laughs> like what's going on you own a house you <laughs> rent you can vote <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah yeah
2: which i've done
1: really just blind
2: yeah uh i not for my campaign but i did some uh, movement Politics. I worked for Movement Politics for Iowa CCI twice. Yeah. Um, and the second time was to register new voters. So we would just print gotcha. out like a Google sheet and like highlight like these blocks you're going to hit. And then just you would write everything down.
1: Yeah, that's so. that's a lot of work. And it's brave It's to
2: hardcore.
1: knock on someone's door and have no idea who's inside.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it was always like it was just like neighborhoods with low voter turnout. So like a lot of like in the river bend neighborhood, um, which is more like lower income, but like the community there is like so tight. Like those are like families Mm -hmm. I've never knocked or canvassed a neighborhood that was like so close together and looking out for each other. Yeah. Stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wasn't saying that you should be scared of people, just more like a social anxiety thing. (laughs) Like I felt when I was doing canvassing for like uh, campaigns and I could see on the the list, like, all right, this is the person, this is their age. And if there's like any other info, it's like, it puts me at ease a little bit. Like I have an advantage. I know more about you than you know about me.
2: (laughs) You know what puts me at ease more is that like, was it like three to five? Maybe three on the higher end. Five percent of the doors you knock, somebody's gonna answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people <that too. laughs> are
2: more most likely to answer their phone than their door, and in this day and age,
1: yeah, which is kind of surprising because I never answer the phone.
2: Yeah, would you answer <laughs> the door if it was just like you weren't expecting anything?
1: I usually do. It does happen occasionally, but I'm also usually like. If someone saw me through the window, I like I can't leave them out there. It's too weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: they saw are they looking through your windows?
1: Well, you know, we got a big What's window going? out front that right next to the front door, so they probably saw me through the big window.
2: Well, then they know to leave you alone if you walk the other way, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> no it was it was interesting, but I've been like i door knocked for Bernie in the South of Iowa and got called Mm -hmm. like racist terms and like had a gun pulled on me and all that crazy shit. So, uh, I feel like being a person of color, you have to be loud, you have to be brave and you have to get uncomfortable. Sometimes you just can't avoid it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had a few like uncomfortable situations, but I'm a white guy. So like, we just don't get threatened the same way, you know, but there was a uh, in 2016 when I was knocking doors for Bernie There was a guy a couple blocks that way. I live in Coralville so not like rural at all not South Iowa and This dude I knocked on his door and then he came out the side door. This was dead of winter He came out the side door shirtless <laughs> And I was like hey, man, I'm a uh, you know about bernie sanders and he was like Bernie Sanders is a piece of shit and you need to get the fuck out of here. And I was like, all right, see ya.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's like the most aggressive
1: anyone ever was with me. Yeah. I never had a gun uh, pulled on me.
2: It's kind of silly too, that there there was the only like attack ads or flyers that came out during this uh, campaign was against Josh Mandelbaum Mm -hmm. and specifically about how he wants to raise property taxes for his clients. And, um, they're like, no, we don't want that. But like, it's also kind of silly because our property taxes in Des Moines are the lowest they've been in like years. And also like there is a cap on property taxes, which have been lowered through the state house.
1: Right. I, yeah. I was going to say that's a state regulation, right?
2: It's just like, what do we do? What do we do with that funding? Is what matters, right? Mm-hmm. And I've heard like that it was like backed by Mid American Energy, where the, the City... attack mailer was, yeah, yeah. Um, but like not by them specifically, but uh, allegedly, right? Um, some, <laughs> some
1: sort of some sort of like umbrella pack.
2: Yes, there was, um, and. The people who endorsed Connie Bosen also forced Josh Mandelbaum to recuse himself during the last Mid-American Franchise Agreement.
1: I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, uh, I don't know all the ins and outs of that situation, but I remember it seeming like a big coward move from him to recuse himself.
2: <laughs> he didn't fight back. I called him out on this during a panel. Mm-hmm. Um, But, like, some panels had different rules, and this panel was, like, one of the only ones where you could respond if they said your name specifically. Mm. And his excuse wasn't very good because he was (laughs) like, because I work with lobbyists that are working against an American, but also other counselors are taking huge bribes from corporations and not recusing themselves.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying to take the high ground. But just I mean, for the just for the purpose of being steamrolled, like it just it doesn't make you look good to anyone who would care.
2: Right. Yeah. It's just always just trying to play the middle ground. Um, and it's a huge shame that he's the most liberal council member. Right. Yeah. Um, they're having a special election in March for Connie Bosen's seat because she won mayor and she used to hold an at large seat. So that's open, mm-hmm. but it's like I don't know anyone who's progressive that would want to run. I don't know. People keep asking me. They're like, "Oh, you're going to run for at large?" And I'm like, "What would I get done? I would be alienated." Um, the procedural rules, which probably won't change under Connie, Connie Boson, procedural mm-hmm. rules like you cannot be spoken, you cannot speak unless spoken to by the mayor,
1: like your children. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like will not change because these rules came up when Indira was elected. So if anyone gets For the purpose
1: of, you know, fucking her over.
2: I think the, and I did not reach out to anyone about this or even brought it up because of, but I feel like to really get change locally in city council, you need to run a slate campaign. And you all need to be working with together. If you're running grassroots campaign, you all have to align on specific things, which it was really hard uh, to feel like kind of just go through it. I feel like that would be it. But like I said, voting and electing people are not going to change things overnight. And why did we, why does anything happen? It's because of people power built outside of that. It's people power built outside of city hall. People power built outside of the police force. Right. Yeah. And that's like the only thing that's going to get it done. But uh, the struggle for liberation is multifaceted and we need people at all angles attacking. And it's a
1: huge mountain to climb
2: Yeah, I always ask myself, like, where do I best suit my community? And I felt like community organizing, I was getting real fucking tired of it falling on deaf ears. Like I got real tired of showing up to council meetings and I got real tired of showing up to corporations headquarters and like doing all the these actions. And I felt like it wasn't getting nowhere besides obviously building people power and giving resources to communities. But I felt like things were not going to change and our government is so ingrained into our society from colonization and capitalism that like the only way I felt like I was the most powerful and apt to do it was to run for mayor, Mm -hmm. which is a huge reason why I ran for mayor instead of running for a smaller seat was because it gives me a bigger platform. It gives me space to have to say these things in front of Connie Boson and Josh Mandelbaum, who've been ignoring me for like three and a half years <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so
1: <laughs> and really, I mean honestly the the former context when you were confronting them at city council meetings, that's where it's really their job to listen to you, <laughs> but these like these panel situations it's like. That's a competition, you know, they're not, they're not obligated to listen to you there. But because you elevated yourself to the same level as them, it sort of, you know, forced their attention.
2: Yeah. And I would say it did the same to me from them, to them, right? I feel like Josh, me, Josh and Connie have more of a personal relationship now, Mm -hmm. which I don't know. What, what that means moving forward maybe it just means that i'm more comfortable calling them up about issues um <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know i don't know what that looks like or what that, that means for me and city council moving forward i'm still going to be showing up and organizing around city council so i don't know how that dynamics can change
1: right but it's going to be
2: very... different post campaign I was very straightforward too about like not going anywhere um or can I talk about the erasure of my work around this community really fast?
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> I wanted to talk about the abortion thing too, but I, I know it's more than that. But uh yeah, in the last like what, month or two months of the campaign, Josh sort of put himself out there as like the abortion candidate.
2: Yeah, and before that it was Like climate justice, right? Right, right, right. So in panels, he or in general, talking to people, he takes credit for the 24 seven carbon free resolution, which was passed in Des Moines. uh, I don't know, like a year ago or maybe, Mm -hmm. um, which is like a really crazy policy to be passed locally. It's the most aggressive in uh, America. Definitely the state of Des Moines. Um, And the only reason it was passed was because me and like CCI's climate justice team were organizing around it. We showed people up to meetings. We called counselors. We did email blasts. And the resolution ended up being very whitewashed of what we wanted, but ended up getting passed unanimously. And Josh presented it. So he takes credit for the 24-7 carbon-free resolution that Mm -hmm. was passed unanimously. But why was it passed? It was community members showing up and pushing them to do the basic thing that we deserve a livable planet. Right. Question mark. (laughs) Um, So that was really frustrating. Um, And then these flyers started coming out about how Josh was the only candidate to stand up for reproductive rights um, or women's abortions, specific wording. And yeah. I was like, people were just sending it to me, like they're <laughs> mailers. And I'm like, yeah, I know what's going on. <laughs> Looks um, like a
1: direct insult to you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, I'm like, I... So, previously to running for mayor, I sat on the Iowa Abortion Access Fund board. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat on the board literally as soon as I joined, Roe v. Wade got overturned, right? Um, so, you joined the, the board right before that. Yeah, I, like, literally didn't even go through, like, onboarding. It was yeah, just yeah. like, this is happening, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> which was fine because, like, I was already an organizer, anew, knew, but um, I helped – organized the Roe v. Wade statewide action. So like, I remember going to my hometown of Mason City, Iowa, mm-hmm. and having like 120 people show out, which is like, unreal. Um, yeah, it's and, pretty like, good for
1: Mason City, right?
2: I, yeah. And I did like, a lot of frontline organizing. And when I confronted Josh Mandelbaum about this after a panel, I said, like, I pulled him aside and I said, Hey, my supporters are sending me this flyer or mailer you sent out about how you're the only person, only person to stand up for abortion rights in the state of Iowa or like the only candidate to stand up for abortion rights. And I was like, I was just basically like, this is erasure of my work in the community. I have been on the front lines organizing for abortion way longer before you tried to enact some policy that didn't happen. Um, And he was like, He was like, oh, I'll just have to look at this mailer myself Um, that it was mostly to draw a distinct line between him and Connie Mm -hmm. uh, because she wasn't in support of the policy. And I was like, I'm like, I want you to know, like, I was on the front lines organizing. It's insulting to me. And then I was very stern and saying, like, you know. When this election is over, like, no matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. Like, you're going to have to deal with me. And I was like, (laughs) the only thing, only times that, like, your ideas get passed is because it's backed by people that I'm helping organize or backed by the people who are my supporters, right? Like, the 24-7 carbon-free resolution. And he just, like, I don't know, did not kind of just, like, got and headlights and offered to get coffee after the election
1: (laughs) yeah have you taken him up on that it's only been a week but
2: no i mean connie (laughs) Boson called me on friday and haven't even called her back so yeah (laughs) (laughs) but we'll see what happens there um it just felt very disregarding and insulting i guess um yeah
1: yeah i I mean i think you're right to feel that way It, it did just on its face it looked that way it's like really you're the champion of abortion in this race (laughs) and i guess he kept
2: like going with it too which was weird um and like the fact that like we can make a policy that des moines can be a safe haven
1: that's what i was going to ask you about like what's the specific Um, of this policy
2: the policy was surrounded by making sure that Uh, the city had funding to help city employees access abortion or have city employees like be able to get funding to transit for abortion. But if you don't work for the city, where does that leave people? Right.
1: And just to be clear, most residents of Des Moines do not work for the city. Right.
2: I would say so. (laughs) So
1: so this only helps a pretty small number of people.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so like the only thing that like what I was part of my campaign was like not just a policy, but making Des Moines a safe haven. Right. Like putting out a statement like Minneapolis did that will be a safe haven for people who have abortion. We'll do everything we can to protect mm-hmm. those people. Um, the fact that abortion is more of a statewide issue is kind of weird weird for like for somebody to run on abortion when it's not very much a local thing There's only so I much understand. you
1: can do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but it is good to take I mean it would make so much sense for the Des Moines city government to take an adversarial position with the state government because the state legislature and the governor are like fucking over (laughs) the whole state obviously but in particular urban residents of iowa so the it's also local representative of the urban residents should try to protect their people against the state government
2: yeah it's like helping amplify those voices and like stating that we'll be a safe haven we'll like maybe but it's also like the state decides how much funding we get for our budget from the state, right, like how much we can spend um so if you like actively take on the state in that way, they will attack you back
1: the retaliate, right? yeah, right
2: mhm so
1: yeah, so is there it... anything else <laughs> <laughs> i I feel like I learned a lot from from uh, this like post campaign catch up with you. uh is there anything else that you want people to know about?
2: I would pay attention to what's happening with Palestine and Mm -hmm. the silent genocide that's happening in Congo right now. Mm -hmm. And also that even though I lost this election, I feel very confident in the things that we did during this, like activating new people and building more people power. Um, I also think that paying attention to what's happening locally is just as important as paying attention to things that are happening globally. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's happening locally is disgusting. It's really hard to think about, but we'll be okay if we have each other, right? We'll be okay if we have community. Darts being cut 40%. Which is really sad. Um, Des Moines People's Town Hall is back and better than ever.
1: That's right. Yeah, keep an eye on
2: and that. yeah, <laughs> I'm not stopping. I'm gonna keep going. So if you want to keep being involved in local organizing, follow Des Moines People's Town Hall because um, yeah, we're gonna kill it.
1: Yeah, do that.
2: And we just had our three year anniversary. So, (laughs) snap, snap, snap. Yes. Be be
1: part of uh, Des Moines People's Town Hall's third year. Or I guess now you'd be in your fourth year, right? I think that's how that works. We're
2: seniors.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Denver, thank you for, you know, getting all this out there, telling the people the truth about what's happened the past few months. And uh, I think you should be proud of what you did with a four digit budget versus uh two six digit budgets i think (laughs) i think that you accomplished uh quite a deal with very very small resources uh just proves the 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 strength of your message and how willing you were to uh devote all of your time and energy to uh getting that message out there
2: thank you yeah
1: Hey, hey, it's me. Uh, I'm alone now. Uh, Denver has left. I didn't want to subject them to the, you know, the podcast bullshit that has to go at the end of the episode. Uh, but first things first, um, DART, that's the, uh, the bus system in Des Moines. DART stands for Des Moines Area Regional Transit. And for the record, that's what I was thinking while we were recording that interview, but, uh, I didn't want to say it because it seemed stupid. Because Des Moines is two words, and DART, the acronym, cuts the M out of it. That would be DMART, right? But it's DART. Anyway, uh, I hope that you all enjoyed that exclusive interview with ex-mayoral candidate Denver Foot. Uh, I'm very grateful to them for spending some time with me this evening. I've been, of course, wanting to do... Uh, an episode following up on the election, because leading up to it, we had made some endorsements and some anti-endorsements, but I've been very busy. I've been uh, playing shows out of town with my band, J's Ps, so I'm glad that I was able to connect with Denver real quick to get something out there. But uh, while I'm here editing this episode, I also wanted to acknowledge some of the other races that we had commented on on previous episodes. So first things first, uh, Laura Burgess beat her competition, Pauline Taylor, for the IO City Council race by like a two to one margin. And this is. In spite of, or I would theorize because of, (laughs) a last-minute sort of uh, anti-endorsement of his own from Iowa City Mayor Bruce Teague, who put out this statement. This was either the night before the election or possibly even the morning of. It was like a last-minute thing. And he put out this fear-mongering statement about how Laura Burgess is like this dangerous anti-police candidate, which I believe mobilized certain anti-police elements of the iowa city community to get out the vote for laura so that really blew up in your face and i'm glad that it did because again pauline taylor is is an anti-podcast member of city council but not for long Uh, she's on her way out and that's what she gets for uh, preventing grandchildren from listening to our show Uh, The Iowa City School Board candidates that I anti-endorsed also lost, uh, as did I think every Moms for Liberty endorsed school board candidate statewide. So that's pretty funny. It's funny that they all all went really hard against uh, teaching kids about being gay. I mean, I think that's kind of their main thing. And uh, that also blew up in their faces. So congrats to them. Unfortunately, on the school board front, our very good friend Dexter Mershbrock lost his reelection bid, and I I'm hoping to catch him and be able to interview him as well, like I just did with Denver. But we are struggling to align our schedules. You know, he's a busy working man, and I'm a uh, a busy. Uh, well, I'm busy too. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll we'll get more into that with him. Hopefully, in the near future, but. Uh, It's just interesting that the $220 million Cedar Rapids school bond did not pass. It failed miserably. But the only candidate, the only incumbent candidate who was opposed to that bond, uh, the position of the voting populace of Cedar Rapids, the only incumbent who shared their position was voted out, while the incumbents who were in favor of that bond remain in their seats. So there's something going on there, hopefully. Dexter and I can talk about it soon and that may end up being episode 126 and a half so look out for that uh, alright before I go I want to remind you all we have a phone number 319-849-8733 you can call in share your thoughts with us anytime uh, here's a recent message we got from well a guy who calls in pretty frequently but here, here he is
0: what is that what I would call you, it's me, always me, just me. I was only Democrat and state auditor, or sand. I've lost track of how many years I've been on the gondola. It just goes up and up and up. Below me are nothing but dark clouds. A robbing and pulsing with purple lightning. It's so hot. To my left, endless, empty seats. Clicking and clacking. Ahead, just the other seat. I haven't seen anyone or anything in so long. I miss you all so much. I just wish that I had more time to... Wait. What's that? What's that up ahead? A light! Here seems through the dark clouds! My freedom! Oh, my tweets! And my press conferences! They'll be back! <laughs> I can be popular up- <laughs> again! Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, please, no! It's Kaylin Clark. She's on the other path. Coming right at me! I can escape. It's right there, but but she's back. Podcasters, why is she back? Why why can't she leave me alone? Oh, she's glaring at me at my soul, at my sins. No, don't reach for me. Her arm is stretching out farther than it should. Warm mutter dripping down into the dark. Don't touch me. Leave me alone. I'm Iowa's only Democrat and on her.
1: Okay, so the latest in the ongoing saga of uh, State Auditor Rob Sands' attempts to escape some sort of a dark alternate dimension that he was trapped in while attending the Iowa State Fair. Uh, things are not l- sounding good this time around. Maybe he's trapped forever? Uh, he was close to escape, but he was... uh sounds like he was grabbed by the butter sculpture and dragged back. So, uh, here's a here's a theory that people may want to spread to their friends and relatives. The Rob Sand that we see in our dimension, the one that I saw in Cedar Falls not long ago, may in fact be a replacement. Not the original Rob Sand, a new one that has been presented to us to put our minds at ease. No, there is no dark alternate dimension, and no one is trapped there. See, he's right here. Everything is normal and fine. If you would like to discuss this theory, you can call us at 319-849-8733. We'd love to hear from you. In addition, we also have a P.O. box that you can mail things to, P.O. box 5336 in Coralville, Iowa, 52241. And uh, this week, I received in that P.O. box an advanced copy of Amber a. Lee Frost's book, Dirtbag. So this, you know, these are the kind of connections you make when you uh, guest on a very popular podcast one time. You end up getting free books before they are released <laughs> in stores. But also, we got... I got a couple bottles of hot sauce mailed to me from... uh a listener named Alan, who I believe lives in California. Yes, Alan in California listens to an Iowa politics podcast. And I'll read a bit of his note here to explain why. This is from Alan. I stumbled across the podcast when Natalie went on Eat the Rich way back when. Been a fan since. I've never been to Iowa, but as a socialist who grew up in a small town, and then town is crossed out and he replaced that with area. So he grew up in a small area that's mostly farms and woods, and he relates. I think I'm the lowest tier Patreon subscriber, but I just got a bunch of hot sauces to send out, so I'll send a couple your way. Hope you like them. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, you can if you end up with some extra bottles of hot sauce, uh, I wouldn't mind checking them out. <laughs> so thanks, Alan. Uh, speaking of Eat the Rich, um, it's a defunct podcast now, and I noticed the other day that they're SoundCloud subscription lapsed, and so those episodes that Natalie and I guessed it on are no longer available, as far as I can see, anywhere on the public internet. So I have reached out to the uh, the hosts of that now defunct podcast to get their permission to rehost those episodes. I'll let you know if I hear back, and those may end up on our podcast feed in the in the near future. You know, Alan mentioned our Patreon, Alan from California. That's at patreon.com slash rockhardcaucus. If you enjoy the podcast and uh, you would like us to be able to keep making it, you could send us a little bit of money on there. And uh, a lot of that money, by the way, goes towards paying guests to come on the show, such as the person I interviewed on the show today. So we are able to pay people to podcast with us because of the support of people who subscribe to our Patreon. And you also get a whole bunch of extra fun, silly episodes on there that you, if you like this show, the free show, you probably enjoy the stuff that we charge for. So check it out if you have money. Thanks. Another thing to check out, I mentioned that I've been busy because I've been playing shows out of town with my friend Brian. Our band is called BCJ's Peas. It's spelled just like how it sounds. And uh, if you live in Iowa City... Or if for some reason you live in Galesburg, Illinois, (laughs) there's two more chances to uh, catch us playing our weirdo music on tour uh, this weekend. The 17th, November 17th, this Friday in Iowa City, we're playing at Public Space One, the uh, Close House Mansion on Gilbert Street, Uh, and uh, a good friend M. Denny will also be playing some music, and then in Galesburg on the 18th. November 18th, this Saturday, we're playing at the Galesburg Community Arts Center, which should be a rockin' good time. Uh, we have we played a few shows last weekend to do like the first half of a tour. I've been recording every performance. I've got a multi-track recording of every single one. And that's what I'm going to play for you now, so you get a little taste of the BCJ's P's live experience that may entice you to come listen to us this weekend. 17th in iowa city 18th in galesburg so here it is uh, just a taste of bcj's p's live to play us out what does that mean to play us out